One of the many things that these weekly church gatherings uh, offer us is the chance to marvel, to wonder, to soak in and have our hearts stirred by the excellencies of Christ, as it's put in First Peter. I mean, we've already had the chance to do that in the way we've been worshiping the Lord together this morning, and these next moments offer us another opportunity. And we need this help. We need these markers week by week. It's definitely not only about Sunday mornings, but these are important times because in a world of distractions and to-do lists and, as the great hymn puts it, fightings and fears within and without, we need the chance, we need to take the time to marvel. I wonder how your drive to church was this morning. Perhaps it was peaceful. Maybe it was rushed. Maybe it was tense, perhaps angry, maybe just mundane. My journey to these buildings have been all of those things and more, but today it was, I have to say more than anything, a missed opportunity. There was the most beautiful purple and red and orange sky with dabbings of blue sky trying to break through and, and white clouds which were trying to come as well. It was, it was beautiful, but it was largely a missed opportunity for me because I only was able to know a passing acknowledgement of it. I had to get here to church. Sometimes I, sometimes we need to slow down. Sunrises are meant to be beheld slowly, really. Like other beautiful scenic views that we might come across. And whenever we go over to the west coast of Scotland, my family are all subjected to all sorts of random stops by the side of the road. If we turn around the corner and there's a beautiful view before us, nothing, then get out of the car and you kind of just behold it for a moment. Now, what's going on in those moments? What is happening? Well, one answer is, well, nothing is really happening as you look out. But Within each and every one of us, I think we all know that it is a good thing just to marvel at the beauty of something, that that shapes us. I mean, this is why art galleries exist. You don't really do anything in an art gallery apart from walk around and look at things, but it can shape who you are. Pondering beauty is a huge part of who God has made us to be as we were thinking about in the kids' story this morning. It's, it's, and it's why hearing powerful testimonies and stories can also be so powerful. This week, I came across a, a six or seven minute clip from the BBC. It was filmed in 1979. It was the testimony of a survivor of the Titanic. And it was just a moving, softening moment for me. There was no, here's the three points to take away. But hearing that testimony, pondering that man's experience, impacted me. Now, this morning, we're going to ponder a testimony here of the experience of the Son of God in the relationship with his Father. And in that, friends, we are going to behold beauty. And we have maybe half an hour or so to do this together. And this is a gift that we have this space I mean, I love the noise of the kids, but I do like this moment when we can come together as well. We're in God's word, and 
I have to say that this testimony we're going to hear today is infinitely more stunning than any remarkable story from history or beautiful sunrise or incredible piece of art. As I say, it's the testimony of Jesus about his relationship with his Father in heaven. It's one of the, the many remarkable passages in John. And as I say, I, if I'm honest with you, I don't have any catchy takeaways today, but I do pray that as we ponder the wonders of the unity of God the Father and God the Son, exploring this passage, which, by the way, our great Christian ancestors poured over as the Holy Spirit established incredible pillars of truth which have kept the people of God strong and stable over the centuries. As we look at the various stunning parts of the picture before us this morning, I pray that we would know the beauty of the whole, the beauty of this God of ours. So, a number of different ways that the beauty, of goodness, the beauty and goodness of God is seen in this passage. The first thing is this, that this passage keeps us humbly relying on God for understanding. This passage, verses, we're looking today at verses 19 to uh, 29, this passage is complex even at points, confusing. It's extremely rich, dense with theological truth. And as I alluded to a moment ago, it's one of the many passages that have been poured over for centuries as we have sought to understand who God is. For example, the first verse of our section, let's read verse 19 together. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, and, and by the way, he says truly, truly, or amen, amen, or verily, verily. The point is this, listen up, listen up, Jesus is saying, and he says that a number of times in this passage. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And you read that, the son can do nothing on, of his own accord, and you say, well, hold on. Does that mean that Jesus was just some sort of robot? I mean, we've been reading of his actions, of his teaching, of his healings and miracles and so on over these months. Was it not really Jesus doing these things? How do we hold this verse together with, for example, in chapter 10 of John, where it says this, I, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I mean, we just read that Jesus says, the son does nothing of his own accord. In John chapter 10, he says, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is challenging. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, at first, this is paradoxical, right? Wait, Martin, you're telling me that it's good that we find this stuff hard to understand, that there are seeming tensions in the scriptures that which, which are confusing for us? Yes, absolutely. Now, the wonderful thing is, make no mistake, there are so many passages of the scriptures that are crystal clear for understanding. But the point is this, we should not expect to simply and quickly and fully grasp the whole picture of who God is as revealed in Jesus and testified to in these scriptures. I mean, let's be honest, most of us can't even do long division, right? So let's not get too smug about our understanding of the Bible. 
those of you who can do long division are feeling pretty good about yourselves right now, but there's other things that you can't do, okay? The reality is, friends, our minds are finite. And not only are they finite, but our desires lean towards selfishness. We read and we hear what we want to hear. We are prone also to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So we're prone to, to, to almost stand above Scripture and look down on it and judge it by our standards. So passages like this force us to once again cast ourselves on God. God, this is how we should come to the Scriptures. God, humble me. God, speak to me. God, renew my mind by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I am dependent on you in this time. Reveal your truth to me. Reveal the wonder of who you are. That is a great gift that there are passages like that in the Bible. But not only... Uh, should it bring us to God in humble dependence? The second thing is this, that this passage brings us to wonder, secondly. A, a beautiful vista before you may prompt how questions in us. How does the light refract in that particular way? What is the makeup of the density of those clouds such that they look like that? But the gold for us when we see a beautiful picture before us is that the, the how would give way to wow. That how would give way to wow. Isn't this incredible? And we're brought to this place of wonder and awe. And the wonder of God, dear friends, is that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we recognize this is hard stuff, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, James 4 verse 10, he lifts us up. And in that we are freed to behold his goodness and his glory. And there is so much to marvel at in these verses. Take verse 26, for example. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. This is an amazing verse about the nature of the existence of Jesus. And for any theology geeks who might be among us, this is one of the key verses for the important doctrine known as the eternal generation of the Son. That, as Don Carson, one of the smart people who writes on this passage, puts it, quote, to the Son and to the Son alone, God has imparted life in himself. That the Son was, to use the language of the Nicene Creed, begotten, not created. Listen to what church father Gregory of Nazianzus, I knew I was going to mess that up, and I did, Nazianzus wrote, this is what he said in the fourth century of this reality, God's begetting, the, 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 the giving of life from God, the giving of that life in himself to God the Son, God's begetting ought to have the tribute of our reverent silence, reverence. Oh, wonder. The point is we're on sacred ground here, pondering the fabric of the very Godhead. Such passages should require us to pause and to worship. Think of the great Christmas carol. It's a shame we sing this only at Christmas, right? One of our worship leaders needs to drop this in in the middle of a song. God of God, light of light. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. What is the appropriate response to that? 
Oh, come, let us adore him. So let's dive into a little bit of who this God is. The beauty of God is seen in this passage in that it speaks to the giving nature of God the Father. Again and again in this passage, we hear that at the heart of who God is, is that he gives. There is a generosity in the very personhood of God. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. We just read verse 26, how the Father gives the very same life that is in him to the Son. Let's read verse 27 now. And the Father has given Jesus, the Son, the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Our God, dear friends, is not a God who seeks to consume and absorb and gorge himself on his own power for his own sake, but within who God is himself, he's generous, he provides, he shares. He, Psalm 84, 11, gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He is, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, able to make all grace abound to you. He is, he will, Philippians 4, 19, supply every need of yours according to the riches of Christ Jesus. He is, James 1, verse 17, the giver of, in case we hadn't got it yet, the giver of every good and perfect gift, even the giver of his own son. This is who our God is. He's a God who gives. Next, we see the beauty of God in this passage in that it speaks of the humility of the son. Sometimes we can find it easier to give than to receive. Yes, it's true that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we, we need to remember then, if it's more blessed to give than to receive, we need to remember to let other people have the blessing sometimes as well and posture ourselves in a place of receiving. Sometimes for all sorts of reasons, some of them really dark, messed up reasons, we find it difficult to receive from someone. When we give, we can be in control, but to receive requires a certain vulnerability a posture of humility, a posture of receiving, thank you, is quite different from a posture of giving. Both can be beautiful in their own way, but here in this passage, we see the humility of the Son in terms of his posture before the Father. Think what Jesus had been through in his ministry so far. Even just in this passage, earlier in chapter 5, he has healed a man who's been unwell for almost 40 years just with the authority of his voice. But here, this is what Jesus says, verse 19, let's read it again. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. How tempting it must have been in his full humanity, for Jesus to suck up all the glory for himself, given what he was up to. But right at the heart of who God is, he acknowledges his submission to the Father's will. What humility there is in this great God of ours. Going on, we can see the beauty of God in how this passage lifts up the lordship of Jesus. Verse 22, 
For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just a good example. He was not just loving and kind. Yes, he was, praise God, all of those things. But he was also fully deserving of all the honor that was due to God the Father himself. This is why the angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, say in heaven with a loud voice in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. As we hear about in in this verse here in, in John chapter 5, honor and glory and blessing. Dear friend, will you honor him? Will you honor the Lord Jesus Christ even when he calls us to a different path to the one that we would prefer? Will we take up that posture that the Lord Jesus takes up himself of submission to the Father's will? Will we also take up that posture and honor the Lordship, the rule of Jesus Christ over our lives. Let's keep going. We can see this beauty of God in this passage and how it lifts up the wonder of togetherness and unity of purpose. We are not made to be alone. It's clear from the first pages of the scriptures. And you know, it's always worth noticing that depending on your personality makeup, depending on the kind of life that you've lived to this point. Some of us love the fact that we're not made to be alone. And some of us really struggle with it and are prone to running away and hiding. But we're not made to be alone. And this is because, why, why is this? It's because at the very heart of God, togetherness and unity of purpose are part of the nature of who God is. Verse 20 is so beautiful. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. One of the categories of internet videos that fly around on social media the most are babies copying their parents. And how cute it is when a parent does something and a baby responds in kind. Well, whether it's that or whether it's a picture of a loving father working alongside the son that he loves, showing him how to do what what he's doing. This is just a very precious picture for us. I'm blessed to say that I can can relate to it. One One of my things that I would sometimes do from time to time at home is I'd open the door of my dad's study and I would see him there ahead of me with his back turned to me sitting at his desk with the same cardigan that he wore every single time and the same little fire on keeping him warm next to him. And uh, he would have his Bible open along with multiple other books on his desk, sort of, well, and the room, like strewn everywhere. Um, and he would have his colored acetate pens before he, some of you have seen his ridiculously colorful PowerPoint presentations. Well, before that, he had pens across the way and he had this, maybe three or four little squares of toilet paper from when he had, it was multicolored because he'd been making mistakes and scoring out and starting all over again. And I'd ask him questions. I'd ask him to explain his color scheme. I've actually got a better one now in my highlighting. I, you know I'm, f- I'm proud of my highlighter scheme, so mine is better. But I'd ask him about his 
color scheme or, or what he was preaching on or how many acetates were coming up that Sunday. That was, you always knew the length of the sermon if he was going to pull out another acetate and no, that's how some of you are maybe feeling right now, but, but, but this, it was a peaceful place for me. And it's a lovely thing for us to ponder the reality here in this passage of a father in love working alongside the son, showing him what he is doing. One of the interesting things about this passage is it comes as a response to the charge that Jesus was making himself equal with God. We see that there in in verse 18. Cast your eye there. I won't read it, but, but in this passage, Jesus points to something much richer than just equality. Listen to what Leslie Newbigin writes. The idea of equality leads on to independence. Those who are in all respects equal do not need to depend on each other, but can stand on their own feet. Our ideal, he's meaning the world's ideal, of human dignity is in fact the very ancient one advocated by the serpent, needing nothing and independent of any judgment of good and evil other than our own. In total contrast to this vision of equality, Jesus speaks of a relation between himself and his father in which filial obedience, that is the obedience of a child towards the father, is as complete and total as paternal love. Beautiful harmony together. Now, yes, this informs how we consider ourselves before God, but it also informs how we consider our roles together. Because if togetherness and unity of purpose is so crucial to God himself, how much more should it be for us? This is why Jesus prayed to his Father that we might be one, just as we are one, Jesus prayed to his Father. We should be together. Now, keep on going. This, we see the beauty of God and the goodness of God and how this passage keeps us desperately looking to see what God is doing. I mean, dear friends, look at verse 19 there. If Jesus would say, I can only do what I see the Father doing, how much more should that be the case for us? I'll be forever grateful for Gene Wilson, who was one of the elders of International Baptist Church, and he led us as young adults through a study called Experiencing God. And to be honest with you, I remember very little of Experiencing God, but Gene continually brought us back to this prayer that was in this study where he would say, God, show us what you are doing that we might join you there in that work. And uh, it's funny that things went a bit wrong today with the projector because I was, I was telling someone recently that if we had a Sunday like this morning where things went wrong and um, we were all panicking before the service, Gene would gather us and he would pray and he'd say, Father, thank you for what is happening this morning. Thank you for what you are doing. I pray that we would join you in your work. What a wonderful thing. Another way to, to frame this is rather than always thinking of the Christian life as what we should do, what we ought to do. Ask yourself tomorrow when you wake up, Father, what are you inviting me to share in today? What is it that you are doing that you desire for me to join in alongside you? I heard of someone who tried to get into the spiritual rhythm, the spiritual habit of when he went from one room to another, every time he crossed through a room, he would just ask God, what are you doing here? What a wonderful thing to train yourself in. God, what are you up to? in this room 
that I might join you here. We should be praying every day for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We might say, God, what are you up to? In my workplace, in my family, in my sports club, in my gym, wherever it might be, that I can join you there. Here we go. We're going to keep going. Three more to go, I think. Uh, We see the beauty and the goodness of God in how this passage roots the Father's work in history. This passage speaks of the Father's work being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Verse 21, the Son gives life. Verse 22 and verse 27, the Son does God's work of judgment. Verses 24 and 25 and 28, the Son speaks the words that bring life to those who are dead. All of these things take place through the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the Middle East in the first century. Even the future work of Christ that is spoken of in this passage, the judgment in the last day, is rooted in his finished work on the cross. This is of great importance to us. Our faith is not a philosophy. Our faith is not a set of ideas. Our faith is not about convincing people of certain arguments. The gospel that we celebrate is the news of what God has accomplished through his son. The question for us is, do we believe this news? Do we believe who Jesus is and what he has, has done? Now, penultimately, two final, the, the second last way to see the beauty of God in this passage. This passage shows us the wonder of salvation. The wonder of salvation. This passage lays out this beautiful picture of God the Father and God the Son in unity as we've talked about this, in generosity and in humility, in shared purpose, with power and authority, giving life and wisely executing judgment. There is this complete togetherness. There is this perfect fellowship. And friends, here's the point. That is what we are saved into. We are still so prone to default to thinking of salvation as being just about me and Jesus, me and Jesus, my own little personal relationship with Jesus. But the good news is that we are adopted into the family of God. Listen to Ephesians 2. For through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The beauty of all that the Father and Son share, we are welcomed, beckoned in to that beautiful household. Maybe some of you have known nothing but strife, sadness, rejection, or worse, as you think about the reality of a household and what that would mean to you. I want you to know that is not your final, ultimate reality. The life in himself that the Father shares with the Son is offered to you. And in that, all who receive Jesus enter in to this incredible, beautiful household of perfect love and peace forevermore. He's inviting you into that place. Finally, we see the beauty of God in this passage in that it gives us confidence that we and others will be raised to new life. I want to read some words uh, from theologian Matthew Barrett. He's commenting on verse 26. 
He's, this is what he says, only he who has life in himself, that is Jesus, can give life to those who so desperately need it. That should empower our evangelism. We do not hold out to the world a savior who hopes he can turn this world around. We hold out to a world lost in the death of darkness, a savior who can raise the dead to life. For that reason, Augustine boldly summoned unbelievers everywhere to look to none other than the only begotten son. What about you, soul? You were dead. You had lost life. He's quoting Augustine now. Listen to the Father through the Son. Arise, receive life in order that the life which you do not have in yourself, you may receive in the one who does have life in himself. It is because of the incredible life shared from God to Father to God the Son that life and light which remained and endured and conquered even the darkness of death, that life is now offered to all who believe. We can be sure of this because of the testimony of this passage. So I invite you this morning, be sure of that. Receive either again or for the first time, receive the life of God Do you hear his voice, which is spoken of so many times in this passage, verse 24, verse 25, verse 28? Do you hear his voice? He's speaking even now by his spirit. Hear and live through the life of the Son. What are we to take from this passage into the coming week? Not three lessons for life on this occasion. Just, I pray, a picture of the beauty and the goodness of God. May we behold in wonder, marvel at his goodness, his glory, and be changed today and forever. Let's pray. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, Let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh Lord, we bow in humble adoration this morning. Lord, we think of the most beautiful thing we've ever seen, the most peaceful and joyful we've ever been in this life. And Lord, we know that that is nothing compared to how we will feel when we truly see you face to face. Just now we we see you dimly, even though we have this amazing gift of the scriptures and we can ponder together for a wee while just considering the beauty of who you are. We still are just seeing you dimly. One day, God, one day we're gonna see you face to face. I pray that by the power of your spirit that today and this coming week we would see you more clearly that you would grant us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see you for who you are and that we would be in awe, we would be full of wonder, that we would behold your grace and your glory and your goodness and we would be fired up. We would know that you're enough for us. This world is gonna throw all sorts of stuff at us this week. God, you're enough. We say that now together and we ask for your help, your protection, your strengthening, to know that that's the case tomorrow when we get bombarded by this world all over again. Oh God, thank you for who you are. We worship you. We worship you. Amen.